You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how you doing today? Not bad, Nick. How are you? Good. Podcast on a Wednesday. Podcast on a Wednesday. Confusing. All backwards. Probably won't matter at all to our listeners because I don't think it has any correlation to when they actually post it or listen to it. Probably not, but if something's off, we're blaming Wednesday. (laughs) It's just us that will be confused. That's right. So um, we wanted to kind of circle back. We A couple weeks ago, we did kind of a case study, just talked through some scenarios of a couple of MSU professors. And we had another one that comes up quite often so that we also wanted to chat a little bit about. And so today's episode is just kind of talking through those scenarios and how to think of some things for a young 28-year-old, we'll call it, uh, MSU, just received his first teaching appointment at Michigan State, and it's got some things that they're thinking of and just wanted to talk through some of those. Yeah, yeah, we made up a, made up a character, made up an avatar. I think the kids call them avatars nowadays. Oh, there you go. We're it's calling them Bob. Bob, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like, like you said, Bob's 28 years old. He's single, but he expects to propose to his significant other soon. He's got about $50,000 in student debt coming out of college and he's renting an apartment. He wants to pay off the debt, but he also wants to save for his wedding and a house. Mm. He knows that he should start saving for retirement. His parents have actually been on his case about that. They didn't save enough. And now as they're approaching their own retirements, they're turning around and telling him, boy, you you need to really make sure you're on this. Music to a financial planner's ears, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, a lot to unpack there. Got a lot going on. And, and this is pretty common for this kind of age group and in, in getting into this point. You know, I think the first thing that I'd like to say is a lot of people in this situation feel like they're way behind. Right. When you spend 10 or so years in school. <laughs> Not to mention more money. <laughs> right. Right. Feel like you're way behind. You haven't started. Right able to save for retirement. You've got the other side, which is the debt side of spending 10 years in school and not making very much money until you got your real job. And so right. a lot of stress. In that yeah. Meanwhile, your your undergraduate roommate, you know, got a job, uh, you know, on Wall Street right out of uh, right out of undergrad and, and mm-hmm. is living in his own house and, uh, you know, probably, probably leveraged. But hey, that's, you know, we won't worry about their specifics, but if yeah. you, you know, it's that, that, I don't know, fear of missing out is not the right thing, but that, what am I trying to say? That competitiveness, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Or that, am I, am I doing something wrong because everybody else seems to be ahead of me? Yeah. So I think the first thing in, in kind of talking with Bob about how he's thinking through some of these things is, you know, you might be behind, but there's a lot of race left. Um, right. <laughs> and, the, and, and honestly, the attractive thing about being a professor is many of them work well past the traditional retirement age, right? Right, right. And so, you know, I'd, I'd rather have people spend a little bit more time on the front end getting a job that they enjoy and can do for a long period of time mm. than rushing into something that they don't enjoy just to make money and start being well, able to saved for retirement, right? And I don't think I've met a PhD yet who chose to, you know, 
go through all that work and receive a doctorate and an appointment at a school for the money. Yeah. <laughs> right. For sure, for right. sure. I mean, that was that was not the driving the driving force. No. Maybe security. I mean, there you know, there's some things in there, but but oh, it's not sure. n- definitely not just about the paycheck and the salary. Absolutely, hundred percent. So with that, Dave, I think kind of where we start with this one is where we start with <laughs> almost everything, and that is budget, right? Right. You know, with younger folks, that's always you know it feels like you're getting to them maybe before a lot of bad habits of developed mm-hmm. or maybe before problems have developed. So it can be, it can be good, but that really drives everything, right? We need to figure out how much can Bob spend servicing or paying down the debt he has and saving for these other priorities. So we've got to start there, map out what's coming in and what's going out. And the best time to do that is when you're early in your career or starting a job and don't really know, you know, if you haven't allocated a lot of it, it's much easier to allocate mm-hmm. more to savings than if you, you know, if you come back after two years of working and your financial right. planner says to you, hey, now we got to start saving $500 out of your monthly budget for this, yeah. this, and this. It's, it's the same concept as telling people to save their raises when they get them, right? Because right. you're not used mm-hmm. to spending them. And if we're talking to somebody who is just, I don't want to say like their first grown up job, but you know what I mean? That first big jump in salary, maybe from a teaching assistant to a- For sure. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good time to- Really yeah. figure out your priorities before before you're used to uh, that being absorbed in a bunch of payments. Right when you when you have the ability to have some disposable right. income right. to make choices with, right? Right. Now, I don't think we want to dive too deep into student loan payments. We can talk through some general scenarios, but the the underlying premise is that whatever we describe for Bob, if we got too detailed, is not going to apply to anybody else because there's right. so many choices and so many mm-hmm. options that depend on situations. But the first things that there's a whole bunch of different qualifying loan payment programs we'd want to look at for Bob to see what made the most sense and to see if qualifying him for public student loan forgiveness down the road would make sense, which is essentially working for a nonprofit or a state university would qualify where 10 years down the road of loan payments, remaining balances can be forgiven. But those plans are all almost all income driven and contingent on what Bob would be making. So we'd really have to like buckle down and see what makes sense. Yeah. And I think the main thing here, because we could talk about this for a long time and it probably wouldn't be very useful, but right. just know that that is an option that you should yeah. be exploring A and B. If you are also about to get married, just know that your marital mm-hmm. status may affect that. So those are the right. big things that you need to be thinking about when you're making right. those student loan repayment decisions. With the Michigan State Retirement Plan, Bob would actually fall into a situation where his contributions wouldn't be mandatory at this point, 28 mm-hmm. years old. But you know, one of the priorities we would want to talk about for him is the fact that if he can get room in his budget to make a 5% contribution, he's going to get a 10% match from the school. And so that's a very generous match, right? Basically, you get $2 for every dollar you put in up to 5%. Yeah. And so other things being equal, you want to try as hard as you can to get that match because that's going to make a huge difference down the road. You know, we can, we can look at later on whether he needs to do more, but boy, if, if, uh, if a young professional can can put in five percent of their earnings and 
effectively get a 15% total contribution. That's, that's an amazing return on that investment, regardless of what the market does and, and yeah, what the, what the, what the behavior you know, dictates. For sure. And, and, you know, kind of touching back on the budget student loan payment situation, you know, other things being equal, even if your student loans are at a pretty high interest rate, I know Mm -hmm. they started to creep up there now that interest rates have gone up a little bit. And depending on what consolidation and repayment looks like, I would be much more apt to spend that 5% in the 403B than putting extra towards the student loans, just given the benefit of that match, right? If right. the match wasn't there, we, it would be a different kind of potential scenario, but yeah. you're never going to get a, you know, you're not paying 200% on your student loan, right? Yeah. And that's the return well, you're getting with the match. Right. And and that's not even taking into account, you know, compounding interest from right. age 28 to say 68 on, uh, on those, on those contributions, get them going now and uh, get all that all that university generosity. Yeah, I know that's sometimes a big sticking point for, you know, do I save for retirement? Do I put on more on my student loan payment? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of different factors, but in this specific scenario with that match, you know, we, you know, you, we could make the argument of thinking about whether it makes sense to do 6% versus mm-hmm. putting extra on the student loan, right? That's a different mm-hmm. kind of scenario and it's more of a personal thing probably than anything but at five that five percent where you're getting that full match that's kind of a no-brainer do that right so from there it's really a question of helping bob sort out priorities right yes set some some goals and figure out where to go from there and you know i on this you know when we wrote our outline for this my first bullet point under there is be careful about letting others set your goals, right? And if your parents are on your back about retirement, it's not that they're wrong. You know, don't let their experience drive your decision-making, get an outside voice because their situation's not the same as yours. And again, it's not that they're wrong. It's just that you've got to prioritize your own situation. Now with Bob, as we already talked about, if we can get the 5% match for or the five percent contribution for a total of fifteen percent, boy, that should uh, that should alleviate some of that pressure he's maybe getting from his mom and dad. Oh, for sure. You know, just being in that you know ten to twenty percent range um, at at fifteen is is a great start at twenty eight. Yeah. Well, and we kind of picked that as the thing as parents are are kind of nervous about for him, but a lot of times where I've seen that is is parents pushing young people to buy houses. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. that that that. Because we've, you know, previous generations were trained that that was the key to middle class wealth building, right? Right. And and again, it's not that it's wrong. It's just something that always needs to have an asterisk at the end of it. Like when you're ready, you should buy a house. And the rest of these things will help determine when you're ready. I think that's a good point. And we actually did um, walk through some different scenarios Mm -hmm. about renting or buying. So we'll put a link to that show in the show notes. But you know, in my experience, more often than not, owning a house is more expensive than renting, right? Right. There's, you know, obviously you could rent a really nice place, but if you're looking at like an apples to apples comparison, all the things that go on with home ownership, the things mm-hmm. that they don't, you know, not it's not just your mortgage payment, right? Right. So, right. I, you know, I wouldn't be afraid in this situation. Yeah, he wants to buy a house, but A, interest rates are creeping up. B, it's hard to find houses right now. So sitting yep. on the sidelines for a couple of years and being in a better 
financial position to take on those higher yeah. costs might make yeah. a whole lot of sense. A new job at a university may be a little stickier than others, but you know, I, I I've had to give this advice recently that you know you're just you're just starting out. This is a new job in a new town, and you know maybe um, cool your heels for a year and make sure this is where you want to be before you sink down those roots. But yeah, <laughs> like you said, new, we go ahead. Sorry. A new wife, new family. Like that's right. the whole dynamic right. of you need some time to let things settle before right. you. <laughs> right. And we've talked about it a lot before, but renting is the, the cost, the benefit of renting is the the flexibility oh, 100%. that you give up when you buy. So just mm-hmm. kind of keep that in mind. That was a diversion I didn't see us taking on this uh, podcast, but there we go. And then, uh, you know, we always we always push for there being a contingency savings fund as one of the priorities. Yeah, well, I mean, we can't have a podcast episode without talking about budgets and contingency contingencies, funds, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. But from there, you know, I really, the way I would see this planning going is kind of a deep dive into Bob's priorities and goals and like what getting married will mean financially. But at the same time, I was kind of thinking about this as we were putting the outline together. We'd really want to, you know, Bob's plan should stand alone too, right? Right. Because at this point, he hasn't proposed. She hasn't said yes, you know. Right. There's there's some... uh, so you know, don't great point. <laughs> you know, don't don't like like we probably wouldn't haul her into the meetings at this point, right? It's yeah, it's it's okay, you know. What this would mean for me discussing things with Bob is let's make sure that these that these goals are set up so that they're flexible, right? Right. And and most of the bottom line is most of Bob's excess money right now, if it's above the 5% match and what makes sense for student loan payments should be funneled into savings accounts and, you know, flexible arrangements Mm -hmm. because his whole situation is going to be pretty dynamic over the next year or two. For sure. And that's a, you know, obviously things will change and financial things will change once you get married, but you're right. Like we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit. And I think it really, you know, a, I would think, you know, if I was advising Bob, the first thing is let's make sure you're on stable ground before we right. try to add somebody else into this mix. Like right. not to say that, hey, wait two years before you propose, but right. your goal should be let's take care of myself and make sure I'm financially stable. Right. And then when the time comes, when it's right, we can have those conversations around how can we combine things and be stable together. Because obviously, obviously bringing in another entity complicates things yeah. <laughs> substantially for good and bad. But, sure. uh, you know, so at this point, it, you know, we'd, we'd make those decisions based on Bob's personal situation, but we'd probably plant some seeds in his mind about what would, what we would want to look at again, mm-hmm. then as he, as the situation develops, if you will, you know, we'd want to revisit insurance coverages and yep. because all of a sudden it's not just his student loans, but it's, more or less, you know, their combined situation. If they're going to buy a house together, then, you know, how much insurance do we need to make sure that the other one would be okay if Mm -hmm. if income stopped? That sort of thing. So. Yeah, I think another thing that we didn't really think through, or at least we didn't put it on our outline, but is insurance coverages, right? Like there's mm -hmm. going to be options for health insurance, obviously. And the nice thing about 
our MSU folks is because the insurance options are so good through MSU, we don't really like go into a deep dive on this stuff, (laughs) which is a blessing, believe me. But there are some options for health insurance that we could look at and, and have some conversations around what makes sense for you now and how that might potentially change down the road. And then, you know, having the long-term disability in place is huge that the MSU provides. And then also life insurance, right? So they're going to have some life insurance options. The, the one thing that I would caution as a single individual is, you're pro- you know, there's some talk out there that, you know, when you're young and healthy, you should buy a big insurance policy because when you need it, you might be... You know, you might mm-hmm. not be able to qualify for one. I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to that. And then the other thing that I would say to that is people sometimes are afraid, well, I have this big student loan. I don't want to put that burden on anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of people don't know this, but your student loan goes to the grave with you if something right. happens. Basically, right. you get to put that back to the government and say, sorry, I didn't, I didn't live yeah, long enough to I pay t- you back. I tried, right. <laughs> yeah. So, but there's no like fighting, like your parents yeah. or your, yeah, you know, your point. estate doesn't have to pay that money back. So you don't need an insurance policy to cover, you know, your student loans. It'd be worthwhile to talk about how we kind of approach goals for mm-hmm. someone this young, right? Because yep. like talking about a, a true retirement date is kind of meaningless to a 28 year old. I mean, we can, we can talk, we can, we can run projections and say, okay, when you're 65, you know, this is what this should look like. But really what we try to do for younger clients is work on behaviors, right? right? And we kind of, we use, we still will combine this with our regular financial planning software, but we'll use um, software that's more about, you know, scoring behaviors and trying to improve situations over time because we find that driving the behaviors will drive the outcomes. Right. You know, if, if keeping track of what you're saving and making sure your, incur- your insurance coverage score is where it needs to be and those things will help so that when those longer term goals start to become real, like say, you know, in your forties, when you're starting to think, okay, yeah, I can do this for another 30 years or 20 years or whatever that might be, or I want financial freedom at 58 and figure something else out. If the behaviors are there and we've helped improve those all along, then the goal setting becomes more, more productive. Yeah, super challenge, you know, and we've talked about this on the podcast before as well, but we're not very good at predicting where we're going to be and what we're going to want in the in the very mm-hmm. far future, right? Right, right? So what we want to do is we want to drive those behaviors. And there's really, you know, we use a scorecard that we do for that and, and it's kind of to keep track of these behaviors and really it's to answer a couple of questions, right? And the first yeah. one is, are you taking the right amount of risk? And so that speaks to what kind of equity do you have in your retirement plan in this case, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are you taking on the right amount of risk for a 28 year old that has a long time horizon or are Mm -hmm. you taking too little risk? Cause that's also a problem when you have a long time horizon. And then what kind of insurance coverage do you have? And like we said, MSU does a great job of providing all those things that you would need. Um, So usually not a ton to worry about there, but you could definitely be overinsured like we talked about. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, you know, are you using your income wisely, right? So what's your savings rate? And so that's where that 5% with a 10% match comes into play because you're getting into that sweet spot of where we want you to 
B, but also, you know, things like tax rate, debt rate, burn rate are things that you can kind of manage. And then lastly, you know, do you have the right mix of assets? So, you know, what do you have in qualified accounts versus liquid accounts? And in liquid term is that contingency fund and making sure that we have enough money should something bad happen that we don't have to, you know, borrow or take out credit card debt or things like that, that will set you back much further. And so those are kind of those behaviors that we're focusing on and trying to track and manage for someone in this situation. It's not so much, here's how much money you're going to have at 65. It's more, here are the things that you should do now so that when you get to 55, you have options. Um, and, And so those and in, in, in what's happening in real time right now is usually much more effective than thinking about it in terms of at 65, I'll have enough money to retire based on my current salary, which all of which are going to change a million times between now and right. when you get to that point. It helps preserve flexibility. I would also point out that, we, you know, you mentioned that it you know, creates a scorecard, which it does, but it's not a scorecard like against your peers. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a scorecard based on your income, your spending, what makes sense for your scenario. And I think that's important. I have had younger clients come in that wanted like to benchmark what they're doing against their peer group. And I, it threw me at the time. I didn't even know how to approach that question. It didn't make any, you know, but to me, it's, it's about how you're doing within your own situation, not how other 28-year-olds are saving. Right? Yeah, if you're benchmarking towards your peers, I got to tell you, that's a recipe for an unsuccessful yeah, financial yeah. plan. And then really it comes down to, you know, A, that, you know, everybody's situation is very different, but B, and probably most importantly, it's really hard to become and be able to enjoy the moment and, you know, and, and live mm-hmm. the life you want to if you're constantly benchmarking towards other people. Because if you, you know, there's always someone who can save more <laughs> and has more money than you, right? Right. And if you don't right. believe me, obviously there's the richest person in the world, but if you look Somewhere, it changes yeah. very often. It's not yeah. like, yeah. you know, war, everybody talks about Warren Buffett. You know, he's been number one and he's been number 10 and he's been, it kind of fluctuates. And so... You know, and I guarantee you, without a doubt, he could care less where he no. falls on yeah. that list. <laughs> he right? may be the only one on the list who doesn't care, <laughs> yeah. but 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 yeah. yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, there's there's a lot there's a lot of things we could talk about there. Like the fact that even even some of the wealthiest people in the in the country still think of themselves as middle class because oh, yeah. there's always someone above them. But yeah. All right. Well, anything else you can think of for Bob that we should talk about here? No, I think that's, I think that's good. You know, we talked about the main ones, which are budgeting, how to handle the student loan stuff, and then, you know, making sure we're prioritizing that retirement contribution. And, you know, for people in that situation, if we can hit those three things pretty consistently and regularly, that's going to give you a lot of flexibility in the future to be able to do the things that you want to do. So great. Well, you know, if you're out there and you see a little bit of Bob in your story, give us a call. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to find out more information about, you know, our scorecard or how we um, would work with someone like Bob, feel free to reach out at info at srbadvisors.com. Thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm.
Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.